What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The outlook is unusually murky. Becky Quicks joined by Melissa Lee, and it's a brutal time on Wall Street. It is implying that we are going to close the year lower than the June lows. Markets taking a dive and bond yields surging. Yields are complicated creatures. On fears the U.S. Federal Reserve is overdoing its inflation fight. I was like, ah, boo. Boeing on the back foot, paying an SEC fine on tragic plane crashes. Our Phil LeBeau. They neither deny nor admit, but agree to settle. They misled investors about the safety of the 737 MAX. And tough times call for strong investment strategies. Wall Street veteran Elevest's Sally Krawcheck. What I sometimes remind myself over my glass of wine at night after a tough day in the markets is absent this market, we've recovered from 100% of bear markets, we've recovered from 100% of recessions, and you don't want to bet against the U.S. Those stories today and much more. It's Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Melissa Lee. Joe and Andrew are off today, but we got you covered today. It is a Friday morning, and uh, uh-oh, you better look out for this. It has been a rough week for this uh, week to date. But... A rough week that could just signal a rough year. Today on the podcast, we have a number of headlines and conversations that all center around the grim moves of the global stock markets. While central banks around the world have hiked interest rates, it's not a pretty picture. Here in the U.S., Friday started in the red for the stock markets. The three major indices tumbled on Thursday following the Federal Reserve's decision to raise its benchmark rate by another three quarters of a point. And that brings the Fed funds rate to its highest level in over 14 years before the financial crisis of 2008 and 9. So we knew the Fed was going to be aggressive, move strongly to boost rates in an effort to blunt shockingly high inflation this year. But in Fed Chair Jay Powell's statements following this week's meeting, he warned that the central bank could jack rates up to 4.6%. I know we throw a lot of numbers at listeners on this podcast, but that 4.6 is significantly higher than the current range of 3 to 3 and a quarter, 3.25. Those numbers and the journey between them, well, it spooked investors, raising fears that the Fed is doing too much too late. We'll dig into all this radiology today on Squawk Pod, starting with soaring bond yields. The yield is the amount of return an investor gets on a bond. And when shorter term government bonds like the two-year Treasury note have higher yields than longer term, that's what's known as a yield curve inversion. Well, it's viewed as a warning sign for a future recession, possibly one of several warning signs. I'll send it back to Becky. Melissa, we were talking about this before we came out. Uh, the yields really being driven by what we're seeing with these central bank activities from other central banks. It's being called Super Thursday. 
the moves around the world in central banks in terms of raising rates and what that is doing to the currency markets. We saw, in, in fact, let's take a look at the currency markets and the commodity markets at this point, too, because this is all part of the story. The strength in the dollar, the Dixie hitting two decade highs here. Um, the yen is at 142. BOJ, you know, Japan intervening for the first time in the currency market since 1998. To intervene, what do they do? Typically, you sell U.S. Treasuries you, to get U.S. dollars. And so what does that do when you sell U.S. Treasuries? You send yields higher. That's one theory behind the move that we saw pre-market yesterday, which is still unfolding today. And that makes sense. When you see Treasury yields go up, you're watching investors look to the Treasury market for the first time and think, hey, I can get some yield that's locked in and promised there versus what's happening in the stock market. So the dollar goes up, central banks react, yields on our Treasury market goes up as they sell some of those. And all of a sudden, investors say, I don't want to be in equities. I'd rather be in Treasuries over here. And, you know, you watch that kind of balance out. It's it's tough for the market. It's not just Japan. Swiss, Swiss National Bank has said that it is looking into defending its currency as well. So they could be selling, you know, some of their um, uh, Treasury reserves. 18% of their reserves are in Treasuries right now. So that could be another force. And then on top of that, the Fed is going to be selling bonds. So that's sort of the question here as we look at a 10-year yield, uh, you know, right now at, at 3.7, north of 3.7%. We should also talk about this Goldman call that's out today. Yes. Um, you have David Costin cutting their S&P target to 3,600, reducing their year-end 2022 target to 3,600. That's actually not a very long way from where we are now, but that is near, I think, the lows on the street. Uh, right now, 3,757 is where we closed yesterday. So you're talking about 5%. I think it's not there. necessarily the move lower that's of note here. It is implying that we are going to close the year lower than the June lows. Right. Uh, and so it is definitively saying that not only will we test those June lows, we will close below those June lows. And I think that's a very important sort of psychological reset for Wall Street. Uh, everybody's watching to see if we're going to retest or we're going to test those June lows. They're saying we're going to break through and we're going to close the year um, below. So that's, that's important. The outlook is unusually murky. Um, and if you look at 2023, given the crosswinds and multiple alternative outcomes that they're looking at the baseline soft landing and alternative hard landing scenarios. And I think the hard landing is becoming much more evident. That's what, what that's what we've been yeah. seeing playing out in the market this week is that sort of assumption. Volatility this morning that we're seeing in the Treasury market is just extraordinary. And maybe the Treasury market is doing a lot of the work for the Fed. Um, let's get to Steve Leesman, who's got more on the Fed forecast for future rate increases. Steve, it's been an interesting, a very interesting week when it comes to uh, what our central bank has done and what other central banks around the world have done as well. Interesting in the Confucian terms here. Yes, interesting, interesting times. times. Exactly, Steve. <laughs> yeah, and, and interesting for Fed reporters and investors. Now, now, one of the most remarkable parts of the Fed meeting this past Wednesday was not only that it sharply raised the forecast for the funds rate for 2023 to 4.6% as the market's reacting to now, but that the Fed chair, Powell, he embraced that forecast. He called it likely and a plausible path. There is a possibility, certainly, that we would go to go to a certain level that we've, we're confident in and, and stay there for a time. Um, but we're not at that level. Clearly, today we're you know we're just uh, we, we've just moved, I think, probably into the very the very lowest level of what might be restrictive. And and certainly, in my view and in the view of the committee, there's uh, there's uh, a ways to go. 
truth. In the words of former PIMCO economist Paul McCulley, Powell is now hugging the dots, those dots that forecast where the Fed is going. Just three months ago, Powell advised investors to take them with a grain of salt. The outlook for the funds rate this morning keeps going up. What number do we have there? Uh, 416. It's now at 476 for the May 2023 contact, and it was contract, and it was only towards the end of the press conference when Powell embraced the dots that the two-year began its move convincingly over 4%. Melissa? Steve, I'm wondering what your take is, and I know you're, you're not a, a Treasury reporter or anything like that, but just the, the move higher in the 10-year yield um, and, and what, how economists view a steepening yield curve that steepens for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I mean, it, yields are complicated creatures, I guess is the best way to put it. There's a lot embedded in there. There's inflation embedded in there. There is an outlook for the economy embedded in there. You also have, by the way, the stronger dollar you pointed out, which it's interesting. You pointed it out as a negative for yields, but it could also be a positive in that economists tend to think of an interest rate as a flag that a country waves. And when it's high, they raise that flag up high. People see it and it could attract money. So uh, right now we are almost certainly the best game in town when it comes to uh, yields. Right now, markets appear to be functioning reasonably well, but these are, are tremendous times here, tremendous change going on with these big rate hikes from the Fed. And now the key is that the market is embedding these forecasts, Melissa. The idea that, that, that Powell is out there hugging these dots, so to speak, telling the markets to take seriously the Fed's forecast. Um, you know, there's no, there's no very little question anywhere. When you see this morning, I came in and I made the Fed funds chart with a peak rate of something like 460, and I had the uh, producer remake that chart three times. It's now four. I'll tell you, I, 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 because we don't have it live. Um, yeah, and the next step for the markets is uh, digesting it in terms of what it means for valuations. Um, that's to be seen. Steve, thank you, Steve Leisman. Among today's top corporate stories, though, Boeing reaching a settlement over at 737 MAX. Phil LeBeau joins us with the details on this. And, and Phil, this is just one more fine against the company for this. Well, it's one more fine. And what it is, is, is one more case where Boeing is almost done with all of the litigation resol in revolving around the 737 MAX. This is a settlement with the SEC for Boeing and for former CEO Dennis Mullenberg. And here's what was agreed to and was announced late yesterday by the SEC. Boeing and Mullenberg, basically, they neither deny nor admit, but agree to settle uh, allegations from the SEC that they misled investors about the safety of the 737 MAX, as well as the certification process. As part of the settlement, Boeing will pay $200 million. Dennis Mullenberg will pay $1 million. In announcing the settlement, Gary Gensler, chair of the SEC, said they misled investors by providing assurances about the safety of the 737 MAX, despite knowing about serious safety concerns. 346 people died in two 737 MAX crashes back in 2018 uh, and 2019. Boeing paid $2.5 billion already to settle the DOJ criminal investigation into the 737 MAX. It was grounded for 20 months, guys, and it wasn't until 2020, late in 2020, that it was lifted. The grounding was lifted by the FAA and most other uh, agencies around the world. 
Boeing, we reached out to them, says, look, we do not admit nor deny the allegations from the SEC, but we've made changes since the MAX crashes with the safety of the aircraft, and the company believes that it has been moving forward since this investigation first started back in 2018. Guys, back to you. Phil, we, uh, Phil, we can look at Boeing stock and kind of see what's happened to it over time. The other question is what's happening with its competitors, with Airbus. I saw some news out this morning that Airbus is kind of hinting that a bigger jetliner may make sense, the A220 at some point. Well, yeah, well, a larger version of the 220, a stretch version, if you will. Yes, I thought a number of people think it could fill a niche within the market. Uh, when you're looking at Boeing and Airbus, keep in mind that they generally t- trade and this goes back, go back years and years and years. Generally, they trade in tandem, though there has been some separation in the performance within the last couple of years. That's happened as Airbus has been able to pick up market share in in part because of the A220 hitting that segment of the market, but also because Boeing has struggled to get the 737 MAX deliveries back to a level where they were before all of this began. Remember, their production is only 31 a month right now. I think when the crashes happened, they were up in the high 40s, uh, low 50s, and looking to move even higher. Now, Boeing would like to get back to that level of manufacturing, and that's in the cards down the road, though they haven't set targets big part of that, however, is figuring out what happens with business and deliveries to China, which, remember, they have not started deliveries to China yet. Right. Phil, thank you. Great to see you this morning. You too. FedEx is raising shipping rates for ground and express service by an average of nearly 7 percent starting in January. That rate increase is higher than in previous years, and it comes just a week after the company slashed its profit and sales forecasts. FedEx, UPS, and other shippers are suddenly stuck with excess capacity just as holiday merchandise was shipped early and inflation has been hitting consumer demand. The average number of packages that FedEx handled in the past quarter fell by 11 percent from a year ago. And Melissa, I guess the question is, where does that get it in the pricing comparisons with its competitors, whether you look at a DHL, a UPS, or even the U.S. Post Office? But I would say the United States Postal Service has put itself out of the running to some extent with the changes that they've made. You can't get something. You can't guarantee it's going to get there in a day or two. Anymore. No, not at all. I mean, I think for FedEx, the, the bigger problem is FedEx. It's a FedEx-specific problem. UPS came out at its analyst day after FedEx slashes guidance and affirmed its, its targets for the year. So, it, But it's, if they're it, raising rates like this, are the competitors going to be a much better, cheaper alternative, or are they going to be able to then raise rates too yeah, I mean, to keep that's, up with um, inflationary costs? I don't know. And will consumers push back? Right. 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 Yeah. The NFL says Apple Music will be the new sponsor of the Super Bowl halftime show. It replaces Pepsi. Reports say Apple may have paid as much as $50 million a year for the five-year deal. More than 120 million viewers watched the 2022 halftime show, which featured Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar. It was a long run for Pepsi. I guess they had a 10-year run. They announced back in May that they were moving on. Thanked all the artists, Dr. Dre and the rest of them, said they're now going to be focusing on digital and video and other NFL properties. So 
You know, it wasn't a fitting war where they got into that, right. but Apple is still paying out some pretty hefty sums. It doesn't seem like that much considering how many people tune in for that moment in time and yeah. it's five years, right? right. It's, it, these are the rare sort of live sports events. You've got the right. Olympics, you've got the NFL, you have these moments where people actually tune into live TV and that is pretty valuable for a lot of advertisers. But interesting that Pepsi's looking at digital video and other stuff too. In other sports business news this morning, New York Yankees fans are paying top dollar for a chance at being a part of history. Prices for seats in left and right field have skyrocketed as Aaron Judge chases that team and American League record for home runs in a season. Resale site SeatGeek says a pair of tickets in the first row of right field sold for more than $1,100. Judge is sitting at 60 home runs. That's one behind Roger Maris, who set the record back in 1961. I was watching last night, watching to see if it was going to happen. That lousy pitcher gave him balls the whole time. He walked him, walked him out the last run. It was like, ah, no. <laughs> give him a chance. Let's see this happen. But imagine being, well, obviously catching the ball would be a thrill. Yeah. And that's but even what just doing. being in the photo. Look, if, <laughs> I think the photo is a big part of it. Yeah. But if you catch that ball, it's going to be well worth those seat prices. I'm sure the oh, Yankees many more times. management is like, <laughs> okay, let this ride so we can keep selling these seats. Although it's, you know, it's the resale market where it's really happening. So they're not making the money anyway. It's all fun, though. I mean, it's, good. it's, it's all good for them. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the latest data on women in investing. Elevest CEO Sally Krawcheck reminds us that maybe we've all been watching the markets for too long. Peggy, thanks so much for pointing out how long I've been doing this. <laughs> I only know because I've been here, Sal. <laughs> Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Elevest, which is a financial tech company that's specifically designed for women, released its first Women's Financial Health Index and its second annual financial wellness survey yesterday in honor of Financial Wellness Day. That survey found that women of women surveyed, only 38% felt concerned about market volatility as opposed to 58% of men. However, women are not feeling good about their financial health right now. For more on this, let's bring in Sally Krawcheck. She is Elevest's co-founder and CEO. And Sally, it's really good to see you this morning. First of all, the headline to take away from this is that uh, women's financial health is worse than it's been in five years. What, what, what led to that? 
It, it, it is rough out there. We, we, when we started to do this work, Becky, we said, let's find a comprehensive numerical analytical index that um, shows what's going on with the financial health of women. We couldn't find one. And so we took a step back and we said, let's pull together something that has some LFS specific numbers that only LFS, you know, has gathered such as recurring deposits, such as if women are investing for impact, but broader issues like inflation, which affect all of us and affect women more because women have less wealth. Um, things like um, paid parental leave, uh, things like the gender pay gap. And what we saw is the she session in the pandemic was bad, but with inflation being so tough, with consumer confidence dropping, um, and with Roe v. Wade being struck down, which is a financial and economic issue for women and their families, women are, it's in pretty tough shape out there right now. I think one of the stats that really concerned me is that only about 14% of women feel prepared for a recession at this point. And if you look at what's out there on the horizon, uh-oh, uh, I mean, we're watching the markets indicate, giving us an indication of what's to come with the economy, Sally. Well, I mean, you, you know, the, the Fed essentially said, we're gonna tighten this until we go into a recession. That's what's happening right now. The, the good news, the good news about this is they are doing the right things. Women are cutting their spending, but they are keeping their recurring deposits going and they're not pulling their money out of the markets right now. So to a greater extent than men, they're standing firm. And I have to tell you at LFS, where we've had net inflows every week during this, uh, we keep sending them emails saying, stay the course. And they're like, we know you told us that already. And so they really are making the right moves. And the other slight good news is versus a year ago when we did the first survey and we said, how important is financial wellness to you? 14% said it was important. So they're like, ah, eh. today, in order to shore up their full wellness, it is number two in terms of what's most important to them. So women are saying financial wellness outranks physical wellness in terms of their overall well-being. So it's been a bit of a wake-up call. Sally, you've been doing this a long time. You know the markets very well. Let, let's talk about that message of staying the course because there are a lot of people who are really starting to panic a little bit. Goldman Sachs throwing in the towel today. It cut its year-end target for the S&P 500 to 3,600. By the way, they had been at 4,300 before, so for them, this is just kind of throwing in the towel. We're, we're only 150 or 60 points from what they're now calling their year-end target. I guess they are finally agreeing, though, that markets may not go up by the end of the year. If you're telling people to stay the course, is that because you think things are going to get better or because your solution is always going to be just as a long-term investor, ride out the rough waters and there may be a lot more to come? Exactly, exactly right. Becky, thanks so much for pointing out how long I've been doing this. Um, but you remember <laughs> back, back, in the day, <laughs> back in the day when I was a baby research analyst, remember we used to say, don't fight the Fed? But then we, did, that we didn't have to fight the Fed for so long that we forgot you're not supposed to fight the Fed. And in fact, what's happening is the Fed is powerful and increasing interest rates are you know, a tough environment. At LFS, we are all about investing for the long term. We're all about diversified investment portfolios. We're all about asset allocation. And so stay the course or even maybe up your investments right now for the, you know, particularly for women, right, who live longer than men, um, be, you know, staying the course is the right thing to do. And what I sometimes remind myself over my glass of wine at night after a tough day in the markets is absent this market, we've recovered from 100 percent of bear markets. We've recovered from 100% of recessions, and you don't want to bet against the U.S. 
Diversification, let's just talk about that for a moment because for a long time people have avoided bonds. But lately, the bond market, the treasury market, is looking a heck of a lot better than the losses that have been piling up in the equities market this, at this point. I mean, on the two-year, you can almost get 4.2% this morning. That's crazy. That's a guaranteed return from the government. It's safe unless you're dealing with 8.3% inflation, in which case you're talking about still losing money. It's safer than cash. It's safer than equities, where you might see continued declines, but you're still the, the value of your money is still not going to keep pace with inflation if you're at 4.2% over the next two years. Look, we, we, we've been in a place where you're not safe anywhere, where, again, don't fight the Fed, right? The Fed is, you know, has told us they're going to do everything they can to squash inflation, um, and that's going to hurt and be painful. What we also know is that the recovery, you, you can't pick and choose it. You know, so much of a recovery takes place on single days when nobody, maybe except at this show, sort of rings the bell and says today is a day, right? And you've seen the research. If you miss out on the five best days, you miss out on quite a bit of return. You miss out on the 10 best days. And you miss out on the 20 best days, you, you've missed out on the whole thing. And so, you know, continuing to be in the markets um, and not trying to find that one day is important. Yeah, it's different messages, right? For people who are trying to take advantage on a daily basis, people who are long-term investors, um, Sally, it's really great to have you here today. Sally Krawcheck. Thank you. That does it for us this week. Melissa, thanks for being here today. And thanks for listening to Squawk Pod today and all week. Friday certainly comes as a relief this week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear on this podcast, do us a favor. Tell a friend to listen to. Have a great weekend. We'll meet you back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.